Well, good evening, everyone. I'm Kelly Wright, and welcome to America's Hope. We are live tonight out of New York City to continue our special report on President Biden's historic trip to Israel. Mr. Biden met with Israel Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu today, as he stated, to show America's full support of Israel. Now, the two leaders held a joint briefing to address the ongoing crisis unfolding. Here's what they had to say. I've seen your support every day in the depth and breadth of cooperation that we have had since the beginning of this war, a level of cooperation that is truly unprecedented in the history of the great alliance between our two nations. Mr. President, you rightly said that Hamas is worse than ISIS. The German chancellor who visited here yesterday said that Hamas were the new Nazis. You're both right. Mr. President, for the people of Israel, there's only one thing better than having a true friend like you standing with Israel, and that is having you standing in Israel. Your visit here is the first visit of an American president in Israel at a time of war. It is deeply, deeply moving. Well, Mr. Prime Minister, thank you very much. Look, folks, uh, <clears throat> I wanted to be here today uh, for a simple reason. I want the people of Israel, the people of the world, to know where the United States stands. I've had my great Secretary of State here. He's been here for a lot. But I wanted to personally come and make that clear. Terrorist group Hamas has slaughtered, as has been pointed out, over 1,300 people. And is not hyperbole, it's just slaughtered. Slaughtered. And, uh, including 31 Americans as part of that. And uh, they've taken scores of people hostage, including children. You said, imagine what those children hiding from Hamas were thinking. It's beyond my comprehension. Israel, as they respond to these attacks, it seems to me that uh, have to continue to ensure that you have what you need to defend yourselves. And uh, we're going to make sure that occurs, as you know. And we have to also bear in mind that Hamas does not represent all the Palestinian people. And uh, it has brought them only suffering. I was deeply saddened and outraged by the uh, explosion at the hospital in Gaza yesterday. And based on what I've seen, it appears as though it was done by the other team, not, not you. But there's a lot of people out there not sure. So we got a lot. We got to overcome a lot of things, and also means encouraging life-saving uh, capacity to help the Palestinians who are innocent, caught in the middle of this. So here we are. The question is, how did we get here? Well, we got here because of what took place on uh, October 7th, when Hamas terrorists invaded with a surprise terrorist attack inflicting pain and death and destruction on people living in kibbutzes and towns and villages in the region near the northern border of Israel and Gaza Strip. As a result of that, Israel unleashed a relentless campaign, a counterattack. Now, the president today also talked about the fact that he labeled Hamas as an ISIS-like terror group. And the chancellor of Germany told the Israeli prime minister that he likened Hamas to being 
equivalent to Nazis. The president said he was deeply saddened by the way and outraged by the explosion at the hospital caught in the middle of the night prior to his visit there. He said he looked at it all along with his intelligence and came to the conclusion that it was a matter that was conducted by the wrong team, the wrong team meaning Hamas. And upon further investigation, it's been touted by the Israeli Defense Forces that it indeed was the Islamic Jihad that misfired a weapon and it hit near the hospital causing a lot of deaths. So we've got a lot to talk about tonight in terms of what's happening with the Israel crisis. And I'm pleased to have Lieutenant Colonel retired Tony Schaefer joining us. He's the president of the London Center for Policy Research. Tony is a veteran with experience in global and national security. He is a New York Times bestselling author and CIA trained intelligence operations officer with 35 years of experience in global and national security. In his think tank work, he is an advisor to senior members of the White House, the intelligence community, the Pentagon, and key members of Congress. Tony, it's important for you to be on this program to give your insights you. on what we heard today from President yeah. Biden, as well as Israel's Prime Minister Bibi Netanyahu, who stated to the president, and we had it earlier and didn't show it, but he stated it earlier to the president, it's important that you're here, that you're here, we welcome you here. Uh, the the face-to-face -face meeting, talk to me about that first and what it meant to see that unfold, the President of the United States standing side-by-side -side with its strongest ally in the Middle East. Well, I think that's it, Kelly. We are the strongest ally, and I like to believe the most effective ally in supporting their continued effort to be free as a nation and be safe. Um, I think what was, uh, was at stake was President Biden granting his concurrence or approval of, a, of a, an expanded offensive going into Gaza. I believe that President Biden gave uh, Prime Minister Netanyahu that approval. I, I think, as a matter of fact, there's some credible outlets now reporting that, that uh, that was given. So I think it's just a matter of time now before the U.S. not only uh, gives its blessing, but actually gives it additional, gives the Israelis additional uh, armament and military supplies, because uh, as noted, Kelly, this is going to be a a very brutal, very long and drawn out fight, one that I do believe the Israelis have every right to pursue based on, as you mentioned, the attacks of 7 uh, October. Uh, this is their right to eradicate Hamas and most civilized people recognize if you've got a rattlesnake living in your in your attic, you're eventually going to have to take that rattlesnake out or it'll keep biting you. And I think that's the situation that we're seeing right now. And, and as we see it, we see the propaganda that's unfolding as well from Hamas, as right. well as other groups like China and Russia and Iran, putting out the propaganda that uh, has caused a furor, if you will, on college campuses throughout this country with people protesting, shouting and denouncing uh, Israel and saying that Israel is committing or trying to commit genocide. To that end, you speaking from the standpoint of being an intelligence officer and having uh, the wherewithal to understand exactly what's going on, this kind of propaganda, yeah. we've seen this kind of scenario before, Tony. We have, and so to that point, Kelly, the Pentagon today about 2.30 confirmed what the IDF said, that uh, that missile that hit the, the 
parking lot, didn't even hit the hospital, hit the parking lot next to the hospital, was of uh, Islamic Jihad origin. It was not the Israelis. But yet, to your point, the whole world is uh, taking the propaganda being uh, uh, put out by Hamas and other uh, radical Islamists and saying, oh, it's the Israelis. And, and, and that narrative is what's most dangerous. It, it stimulates and encourages the protests we saw today on Capitol Hill. It also uh, stimulated and I think was largely responsible for the uh, uh, protests at our at U.S. Embassy in Jordan, which happened today. So uh, that propaganda has an effect. That effect is violence. And I think it's something that we, you know, I consider myself a member of the media. I know you are, too. I think we're all obligated to speak the truth as best we understand it. In this case, uh, by all accounts, by all uh, factual rendering, the Israelis did not attack that hospital. And it's something that I think people need to recognize and, and encourage those using the propaganda to stop. Yeah, and Tony, as you're talking, we're seeing video right there at the United States Capitol where people were uh, chanting uh, for Israel to have a ceasefire. Uh, we should also point out, as you know, uh, there are 199 hostages. Some of those hostages are Americans. And it's reported right. now that a Hamas leader has stated that the, the hostages will be released should Israel comply and agree to a ceasefire. Again, we've seen this kind of scenario in the past where uh, Hamas yeah. has used humans as human shields and as bargaining chips. Well, that's the issue at this point. We've gotten here, Kelly, because terrorist organizations have been successful in taking and holding and releasing hostages based on all sorts of requirements. I mean, the Israelis themselves released, I think it was uh, over 100 uh, um, prisoners, Palestinian prisoners for one soldier about 10 years ago. So it, the danger is once you open that door, it's hard to stop because obviously uh, uh, Hamas believes they're going to have and maintain advantage by having those prisoners. And I think there's about 30 Americans amongst that 199, which is not, not a small number. The question becomes, how do we show strength and not buckle to terrorists at the same time, recognize those family, those families of those being held, want those people back. And I think it's going to have to be a use of force in some regard. I think we have special operations forces that are deployed to help the Israelis do things to try to retrieve the folks. Otherwise, uh, I don't, I'm not convinced a ceasefire would, would give anything to the Israelis long-term. Yeah, they may give some of them back, but Hamas will not give them all back and it'll be a drawn out affair that does not uh, yeah. resolve itself anytime soon. It will drag on and you were talking about the, uh, yes. the 10 uh, Hamas uh, people being traded for Gilad Shalit. Uh, if you recall that when That's that right. happened uh, 10 years ago. I, I wanted to ask you about the counteroffensive sure. that, that Israel is planning to do, which would be a ground incursion. As you know, that would be a, an extremely difficult task for them. We're talking about asymmetrical urban warfare. Uh, and we do know that, of course, that Hamas has a, a series of tunnels uh, where they are deep within the ground. They can cause or, or at least set up booby traps and waiting for the Israeli defense forces to come in. And it's going to be a bloody affair to try to root out Hamas that way, which is another reason, Tony, that Israel sent leaflets to the Palestinian people saying get out in order to avoid any collateral damage. Absolutely, Kelly. Now, I think the Israelis are studying our battles, our two battles in Fallujah, because that was a very difficult urban fight. 
But to your point, uh, the going into the the Gaza region is going to be much more difficult because of all the tunnels. Now, let me be very clear on this. I think uh, the Israelis are doing what they can to be as prepared as possible. They just activated 300,000 reservists. Those reservists, Kelly, are not specialized in urban warfare. This is They've got to train them up as quick as possible. And the other thing I'm going to say, it, there's good reasons they're trying to get the civilians out. There's something called therm thermobaric weapons. Thermobaric weapons are those which I expect them to use in the tunnels. Thermobaric weapons are very severe. They suck all the oxygen out of the room and create uh, horrific temperatures. These have been used in war already. They're not technically uh, illegal, but they are very effective uh, in, in small, small spaces such as tunnels. So my point to, I'm trying to make here is that the Israelis, I think, are trying to do what they can to move civilians out. Keep in mind, both Jordan and Egypt have said they're not going to accept any Palestinian refugees at all. That, that was something that Tony Blinken completely failed to achieve. And uh, the Saudis are also against moving it. So the question becomes, how do they move those civilians out and prosecute uh, what I believe to be a necessary offensive set of operations against those tunnels and against Hamas to make sure that uh, indeed Hamas cannot uh, continue to fire rockets into the Israeli uh, area? as well as stop their ability to mount attacks like they did on the 7th of October. Uh, you know, I have to ask you, why do you think uh, Antony Blinken was not able to secure safe passage <laughs> for the Palestinians? Uh, do you, uh, was it part on his, uh, on his part, or could it have been the fact that uh, some of the Arab neighbors, they don't want Hamas in their backyard? It's double that. It's, it's both, Kelly. The, the, uh, both the, uh, the Jordanians and Egyptians have seen this move before, and they don't like the idea of having refugees stuck in their territory. There, there is probably no guarantees given by Blinken to say, we'll help you. And I think that was a thing that may have tipped it over. The second thing is Joe Biden is not seen as a credible resource to a lot of countries. He, his credibility has been diminished. And Tony Blinken reflects that lack of credibility. Uh, I've talked to folks at the State Department. They're basically saying that Blinken is not effective in his primary role as the chief diplomat of the United States. It's, sad, it's a sad point. Uh, and I've seen my, Rick, my friend Rick Grinnell, Ambassador Grinnell, who's been in contact with members of the State Department. He, who's uh, an ambassador, obviously, has been uh, clearly stating that there's problems with the way Blinken basically dictates to countries without regard to the consequences. Uh, there's ways of negotiating, Kelly. You and I have been around yeah, D.C. And, and covered this sort of thing a long time, and you don't dictate to people when you're looking for help. So I, I've got to ask you, let's, you talked about the president and how the rest of the world sure. is looking at him, especially in the, uh, the, the Middle East. Uh, does this right. go back to Afghanistan and the way that withdrawal took place? Absolutely. Uh, that is the kind of uh, ground zero, if you will, to use a, a, a metaphor of, of the beginning of distrust and uh, concern of our allies. The Afghan guy, as a matter of fact, I'm meeting with uh, some of the Afghan resistance folks later this week. Uh, there are folks who are still disappointed bitterly that we abandoned the investment we made, 20 years investment there, and overnight it was gone, leaving the Taliban in, better, in a better position than when we invaded in 2001. Uh, this is permeated. That that failure is permeated, permeated many of the things we have to deal with. And again, Kelly, I, I talked to all sorts of folks. I talked to Egyptians. I talked to Afghans. I talked to a, a number of international folks in the community. Uh, I uh, interviewed Ambassador uh, uh, Ido Aharoni, and they all put, tried to put the best face on the fact they want American support. 
But the confidence in President Biden and his administration is very much lacking at this point. Uh, indeed. And uh, one final question. I've got about a minute left. Sure. How, how will Israel prevent this from spilling over into a regional conflict? Excellent question. And, and that, that is a TBD. Uh, right now, the Israelis want to be able to, to move forward and fight the war as they need to. And I, I believe that's the best move. They don't need our help directly. I think if we provide them arms and, and incidental support, we'll be, they'll be fine. Uh, our job, Kelly, is to, as you said, make sure that this does not spill over to the Iranians uh, or include any other country like Syria. Syria, as you know, is a very close a state to yep. the uh, the Iranians. And that, that's the danger. Syria, Iran and Hezbollah potentially coming in. I know there's efforts right now to dissuade them from doing that. We'll see if those efforts are, are, are successful. Some of that is the two battle carrier battle groups, yeah. the Eisenhower and the Gerald R. Ford being moved All there right. to deter that. Lieutenant Colonel Tony Schaefer, so good of you to join us this hour on America's Hope. Appreciate you so much. We're coming back with Thank much you, more after the break. The state of Israel is born to be a safe place for the Jewish people of the world. That's why I was born. I've long said, if Israel didn't exist, we'd have to invent it. And while it may not feel that way today, Israel must again be a safe place for the Jewish people. And I promise you, we're going to do everything in our power to make sure that it will be. President Joe Biden in Tel Aviv, Israel today, giving, of course, remarks about the resilience of the state of Israel and its people. And Major Shadi Kalul is joining me now from Israel. He is chairman of the Israeli Aramaic Christian Association and serves as a spokesperson for the Christian officers of the Israel Defense Forces. And Prime Minister Netanyahu recognized him for his success in encouraging Christians in Israel to join the IDF. He holds a degree, by the way, in international business and finance from an American university, the University of Las Vegas. And also joining me to discuss it is uh, Rabbi Yaakov Menken. Good of you to join us this hour, sir. He is of the Coalition on Jewish Values. So important for you to be here. Rabbi Yaakov Menken is the managing director of the Coalition for Jewish Values. Let's start right there. Jewish Values. You're representing more than 2,000 traditional Orthodox rabbis in American public policy. When you saw Bibi Netanyahu thank the President of the United States for being there today, we saw a lot of symbolism between our two nations. But what did you glean from this personally? I, I think it's just a very powerful moment because you know, since the beginning of this conflict, uh, you know, we've certainly had, like I think all Americans have had complaints about you know, President Biden's policies, people don't like the Republicans, people don't like the Democrats, but just the the totality of, of standing with Israel at the hour of need, I, I do believe that the president really rose to the moment. Uh, he became the first president of the United States to visit Israel during wartime. He made a solid commitment. He, he recognized that the world had not responded to the Jewish people during the Holocaust. And he said, that's not gonna happen again. Considering that uh, Hamas demonstrated that uh, if they had the opportunity, they would behave like the Nazis and worse than Nazis, literally worse than Nazis in their behavior. And the fact that the president 
rebutted members of his own party and that his own press secretary called comments by the squad repugnant. It really does say something. And this is hopefully a transformational moment in the relationship. That's that's what I would take from that. Transformational. Shada, you're you're joining us, of course, from Israel. And I thank you for uh, getting up so early in the morning at your hour to talk to us on America's Hope. And uh, the, the, the visit from the president, what did it mean to you? And, and what's the important thing that you're focusing on right now in terms of the Israeli Defense Forces and their operation in terms of a counterterrorism strike to wipe out Hamas? Looks like we lost a little bit of uh, disconnect right there with Shadi. There he is again. Shadi, if you can hear me and respond to uh, that question, I'll re ask yeah. it again. What's your response to the I, president being there? Okay, first of all, uh, good evening for you in the United States. Uh, I, I see the president visit here as extremely important. Yeah, we're having some problems right there with uh, Shadi's uh, connection. Extremely Shadi, we're going to work on your connection while we're doing that. I'll still talk I to Rabbi Menken. Uh, let's work on your shot a little bit there, Shadi. Rabbi Menken, uh, you, you talked about the fact that you applauded the president and his efforts. Uh, that notwithstanding, and the president pledged full support of Israel, even talking about the fact that he would ask Congress to provide more money to help Israel defensively, but then also stating that he would provide $100 million to help with humanitarian aid for the Palestinians. Uh, how does that square with you? Because when you pray for people, you pray for all sides of the equation, uh, but you still deal with the enemy that you have to root out. I'm, I would say that there's a lot of concern about that that promise of financial aid uh, because unfortunately all money moves around if the humanitarian crisis in in gaza is alleviated uh, the people of gaza are not going to want to throw off the mantle of hamas as quickly unfortunately you know one thing that a lot of people don't like to talk about is that hamas in the gaza strip has a tremendous amount of popular support uh, these are people who are willingly serving as human shields. Hamas is telling people, don't get out of the way of the Israeli uh, missile strikes, and they're listening. I mean, the Israelis, as, as humanitarian as any other army is, including the United States, the Israelis are the only ones who routinely warn civilians, get out of the way, uh, do roof knock bombs, etc. The Hamas is doing everything possible so that more Arabs die. And this is a part of the conflict that people don't understand, that Hamas is literally so horrific in its practices. They're not only going over the, after the Israelis. They, they actually enjoy seeing Arab casualties because they know that people like Rashida Tlaib and Ilan Omar will turn around and blame the Israelis, no matter how strong the evidence that it was in fact Hamas and his allies that caused the deaths. So when the picture is like that and the people are gathering around Hamas, that there has to be pressure placed on the populace itself to throw off these brutal leaders, to throw off the totalitarians. And so at, at that point, when the United States is promising aid, the question is, how are you going to guarantee 
that this isn't going to feed the Hamas fighters and their families so that the Hamas fighters can go ahead and cause more terror and kill more people? How do you know that this isn't going to avoid the necessary pressure that people should throw off Hamas and actually free the Gaza Strip from Hamas leadership? And, and it's very hard to figure right. that out. Rabbi Yaakov Menken, uh, he is the managing director of Coalition for Jewish Values. I thank you for joining us this hour, sir. And we thank appreciate you. your comments here on tonight's America's Hope. We're back with more in just a moment. And welcome back to America's Hope. We've been following the details of the president's uh, trip to Israel. As many of you know right now, the president visited Israel. He announced that he was going there. It's an historic trip that he made to a war zone area in the Middle East. And of course, all this comes on the heels of what took place on October 7th, when Hamas terrorist forces actually were able to break through the defenses, unaware to the people that was that were actually operating. The Israeli defense was caught off guard. Those questions will be asked later. Right now, Israel is focused on getting back, getting control, and putting Hamas under its control. In fact, Bibi Netanyahu going so far as to say that they must destroy Hamas because of inflicting a 9-11 style attack on the innocent civilians going on uh, in the kibbutzes and the villages, so many innocent people losing their lives, some 1,400 people, Americans among them as well, and capturing and taking captive as hostages, 199 hostages, about 30 among those are American citizens. The president going to Israel to stake his case. And of course, it's a, it's a, it's a plan that he wanted to do in order to promote the high stakes value of diplomacy. Yet, during his trip there, he was not able to go into Jordan where he would have met with Arab leaders. In going to Jordan, he would have met with Arab leaders to talk about brokering a deal to provide some passage for the Palestinian people leaving the northern Gazan area and going towards the south. They declined to meet with him. And as all this unfolds, many people are now protesting in the streets. They're protesting on Capitol Hill against Israel, stating that Israel is committing genocide, yet the president stating very clearly that Israel has a right to defend itself, the president offering his support. We know that there are two battleship groups in the region. The Gerald Ford is already there. The USS Eisenhower is on its way. Uh, 2,000 troops will be provided for humanitarian purposes. And while we're talking about humanitarian purposes, everyone's talking about the humanitarian crisis that's unfolding among the Palestinians. But no one's talking about the humanitarian needs of the thousands of people displaced from their kibbutzes and their villages and their towns along the northern border of Israel and Gaza. Where did they go? Many of them have lost their homes because of the strike and the surprise attack that took place. And as a result of that, they have to go to people who are opening up their homes. And that's a story the president was talking about, how total strangers are opening up their homes to receive people in, to provide them with help, and yet remembering that loved ones have been lost, a baby, 
a child, a mother, a father, a sister, a brother, a friend. Joining us now is someone very acquainted with grief in the Middle East. He is Canon Andrew White, an Anglican priest in the UK. But he's done extensive work in Israel as well as Iraq. He is the founder of the Foundation for Reconciliation in the Middle East, as well as the initiator of the Iraqi Institute of Peace. And he's a priest of the Anglican Church who operated in Baghdad at St. George's Church of Mesopotamia. He and I met in Baghdad during the war in Iraq in 2003. Canon White operates with the belief that all political peace tracks require a corresponding spiritual faith track to ensure any lasting peace. Andrew, it's good of you to join us this hour, and I should point out that Andrew is joining us from the UK. It's late there. He's in his bed, <laughs> and Andrew, it's good to see you. It's very good to see you, Kelly. Well, we have some interesting history of working together on the ground, not just talking about things. Yeah, in fact, we do, Andrew. Uh, and I should just point out that the reason why you're at bedside is because you have a, a, a debilitating disease that keeps you in a wheelchair and you don't have the kind of help right now to lift you up, to sit you up. So I want people to understand why we're seeing you in the bed. Uh, but uh, you're, yeah. you're not someone who has allowed your, your, your illness to prevent you from trying to bring healing to a very troubled land. What do you no, think I about the president's visit to Israel today? Well, to be quite honest, as you know, I, um, even though I'm a Brit, I'm very involved in American politics and I wasn't a particular fan of Biden at all. And yet I have been totally amazed by how popular he has been to the ordinary Israeli people. They really feel that here is somebody that many of them will say for the first time. They have an American president who really understands them and works with them and wants to enhance their ability to be a nation. So it's a very, very difficult time. It's a difficult time for anybody in a senior political position. But what we have seen in Biden is a man who does actually care. I think there's a lot more to do though, and I think it's God he wasn't able to say something about the need to do something for the people of Gaza as well. You cannot forget the very real practical needs of the people who has suffered incredibly in this time of desperation. And it's interesting that yesterday everybody was saying, 
lot the Israelis have blown up this hospital and now they've made it worse for the Palestinians. Well, all of the incredible um, academic research onto the way that that incident took place yesterday has looked at the evidence that this bomb, this missile, this destruction of the Alia Hospital, which is actually a hospital I've been involved with, it's an Anglican hospital, and it was one of the most incredible facilities for Gaza. And if ever Gaza needed the hospital, it was now. And it looks as if almost definitely this was the event caused by the Islamic Jihad. Now, Islamic Jihad are a group very similar to Hamas, and they are an opposing group of Hamas, but they are another terrorist group. And so we're talking about real terrorist groups. And these aren't humanitarian groups who just do a bit of violence. These are groups which exist to mutilate and kill and destroy Israel. It's all about Israel's hatred and trying to throw Israel into the sea. Mm. Israel, I've got to, I mean, not Israel, but uh, Ken and Andrew White, as you're talking about Israel, I'm reminded of the fact that as you worked in Israel, you brokered and helped uh, bring peace after the Bethlehem siege in 2002. You worked in uh, Israel with, with both leaders, Arab leaders, Christian leaders, as well as uh, Jewish leaders to broker reconciliation. It, with all of this devastation that's unfolded now because of October 7th, is reconciliation off the table? Can it ever be brought to a place where the Abraham Accords are reinstituted? I think when it talks about things like the Abraham Accords and what's going to happen, say, with people like the Gulf states of UAE and Kuwait and Saudi Arabia, that is going to be very difficult. As regards reconciliation, we are more committed now than ever. In fact, that well before this violence broke out, I was actually leading a process started by President Netanyahu, which brought together some of the top Ayatollahs and Shia leaders that I got to know in Iraq to try and say we as the Ayatollahs and Islamic leaders of the world need to start working with respecting and loving Israel. So that was a unique venture and the feeling is now that even though we'd started that all of that has gone amiss now. Ken and Andrew White, we thank you for joining us from the UK. Uh, get better, feel better. And again, I appreciate you weighing in on this important issue.
Canada Entry well, from the UK. I'm delighted to speak to you. Delighted to have you, my friend. We're coming back with That's much more after the break. Welcome back to America's Hope. A special live coverage tonight on the president's visit to Israel. Joining me now are two men who know quite a bit about Israel. They have visited there, they, and one has actually worked there. Dr. Raleigh Washington is president and CEO of Awakening the Voice of Truth. He was the third recipient, by the way, awarded the Doctor of Peacemaking after Mother Teresa and Bishop Desmond Tutu by Westminster College. He is a board member and past president of the Road to Jerusalem, where he did extensive work in uh, the area. And that was a ministry about reconciling Jewish and non-Jewish believers. And he is the former president of Promise Keepers. And then we also have, uh, now that he has his phone working a little bit better, <laughs> Monsignor Jamie Gigantiello. Monsignor Jamie, it's good to see you, my friend. He's a pastor Thank at Williamsburg's Our Lady of Mount Carmel. And uh, so good to see you both. Look, we've been talking about the political ramifications and fallout of Israel's counteroffensive in the wake of their 9-11 that took place on October 7th. And, and quite notably, the President of the United States today stated that this was more than just a 9-11. It was 15 times their 9-11. Uh, but what we haven't talked about tonight is the spiritual ramifications. And I want to get into that tonight before we close out tonight's show. Raleigh, I'll begin with you. You've, you've worked with people in Jerusalem. You've been on the ground in Jerusalem. How do you see this from a spiritual aspect as it relates to the political and the military uh, component? Well, thank you, Brother Kelly. Uh, I really feel that uh, the spiritual aspect of this war in Israel is missed by, by many people, and especially people of faith. I believe it is a classic battle between Satan and Jesus. It's a battle between good and evil, uh, foundationally. Uh, from a spiritual standpoint, uh, to know who God's chosen people are makes all the difference in the world. As a Christian, uh, to know who Jesus is and that he was Jewish is all important to this dynamic. If we didn't have Jesus, we'd have no patriarchs, we'd have no prophets, we'd have no Bible, we'd have no salvation, we'd have no kingdom of God. But we have that in the Bible, in our faith, because of God's chosen people. So uh, the dynamic of understanding that radical Islamic terrorists are convinced that they are working for their God, Allah. They are convinced that uh, uh, that's what they're supposed to do, that uh, uh, we, if we are not Islamic, we are the infidel, we're fit for death. And, and so that is a motivating factor. A further motivating factor is um, a person who has embraced the evil dynamic, taught as a child to hate Jewish people and 
uh, that they were worthy of death and the Jewish people was trying to kill them. Right. They've already been indoctrinated. So once they uh, become adults, uh, it's what we see now in all of the uh, response, uh, hating Israel, wanting to kill Jews and the things that they have done. Uh, right. Certainly there's a physical dynamic to it, but it's motivated from the spiritual foundation of who we are as Christians, who Jews are as God's chosen people, and who, in this case, the Palestinians are. All right, Ronnie, look, that, uh, thank you for that. Let me get it, uh, Monsignor Jamie Gigantiello. Uh, Monsignor Jamie, yeah. how do you view this as well from the spiritual uh, aspect as well? Uh, we just heard from Dr. Raleigh Washington. How do you look at this? Well, I mean, I agree. When people grow up in an environment that lacks love, um, you can see the results. Uh, you see it in families today in the United States and around the world. Uh, what happens to children that do not grow up in a loving environment. But I, I, I do think that we have to look at the fact that I believe that good always wins out over evil. And also that when you have faith, uh, you realize that, you know, the good of humanity is at stake and that we have a purpose. Uh, we have an obligation to bring God's love into this world. And it's not always easy. But we're also called to forgive people. And you know, you, you'll never have peace without justice, but you'll never have justice without forgiveness. And I think so much has happened over the last, you know, 50, 60 years that we need to sit down as people of faith to solve this. We need the, to sit down as people of faith to convince the political leaders that we have to make peace here. We have to really stop this war. We have to stop this killing once and for all because the devil is at work. There is a constant fight, uh, you know, as the doctor said, between, you know, God and the devil, between good and evil. And we have to do our best, you know, to every single day to work for peace, to work for justice, to work for love. Uh, but we have to be people of forgiveness. And there's been so much that has taken place that um, it's a very complicated, you know, problem. But in the end, you know, our darkest days always have a silver lining. We see the goodness in people. And we always know that, you know, in the end, you know, the cream rises to the top. Love always wins out over evil. And we have to focus on that. Death is not the final answer. Gentlemen, I've often said, thank you for that, Monsignor, I've often said on this program that hope is born out of adversity and conflict. And certainly as we look at the crisis in Israel unfolding and we look at uh, other hot spots throughout the world, but most notably people are watching Israel with bated breath because they realize that it could tip into a regional uh, uh, warfare. Uh, the, the seeds that's hurting this, Raleigh, um, do you see a solution getting back to the point of Monsignor that we have to have dialogue and relationship and how do we get that when the relationship has been severed for it would seem centuries between Israelis and Palestinians? Uh, I believe that you said uh, the most critical word. Certainly we need truth. 
we need uh, love. We need no question about it. But I believe that relationship changes everything because relationship can eliminate anti-Semitism. Uh, and uh, let me give you a situation where uh, I have seen this happen. If you could do it quickly, because I've got about three minutes left. Good. And I've got to get to Monsignor. Uh, not as, I've got you. Well, Zach Bonner was an African-American football player, USC. Uh, he, he had a Jewish friend who encouraged him to join a predominantly Jewish fraternity. He learned about who Jews were and the oppression, the whole works. And, and when uh, Deshaun Watson made an anti-Semitic statement publicly, these are both professional football players, Zach Banner called him out and defended him and said, that's wrong, we are oppressed, they are oppressed, and everything changed. Why did Zach do that? Because he had a Jewish friend, he learned in the fraternity who they were, they, he began to respect them, they, he, they respected him, he respected them, and when this anti-Semitic public statement was made by a professional football player, Zach Banner called him out, all, all right. because of relationships. So when we respect one another and love one another, even if we're not of faith, and these people were not of faith, but they honored one another, they respected one another, and it changed everything. And Monsignor, I'll give you the final word. Uh, you know, peace seems to be elusive right now, and hope seems to be something that we're not talking about, yet it can rise up in the midst of despair. Yes. Um, last week, uh, there was a prayer service at Gracie Mansion, and there were people of all faith coming to pray. And at one point, we all started to pray in our own tongue. And for that moment, you can feel the presence of God. Peace will never be won on the battlefield. Peace can only be won in dialogue, communication, and people working together side by side. And that's what we have to really uh, work at. And that gives us the hope. That gives us the hope that we need that, you know, eventually this will come to an end. General, I want to thank you both. And uh, Gracie Mansion, of course, is uh, the mayor's uh, home here in New York City. Uh, Dr. Raleigh Washington, Monsignor Jamie Gigantiello, thank you for talking about hope and faith and love in the midst of this very turbulent time. We need to be reminded of those things that do bring us closer together in relationship. Again, thank you. And thank you all for watching America's Hope tonight with this special coverage of the president's visit to Israel. For the rest of you tonight, think about hope, let it prevail. God bless.